We're going to go back to our study tonight in Revelation, and it's been a while. We've got a lot to try to get to. We won't make a lot of progress as far as getting through verses, but we have uh, a lot of material to cover. Uh, Thank you for being here. It's good to see each of you, and uh, it's good to see uh, Brother Nick Niemer here tonight. It's good to see him anywhere, especially walking upright after hitting that deer on the way to to Finley. Uh, Just totally smashed the windshield in, and uh, thank the Lord you're here and you're safe. And that's a scary, scary thing. Um, Let's go back to Revelation. Let's go to the book of, I'm sorry, the chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off. We left off about halfway through the book of Revelation. And, of course, there's so much that is um, in, in this book. And I have said it multiple times, but let me encourage you. Uh, if you, if you approach the scripture in the sense of, I want to get this thing down right, uh, be careful because the scripture is infinite. It comes from a God who is infinite. So the best thing you should do is get a rough draft and continue to perfect that. Continue to make it more, uh, clear to you as you get more scripture. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to adjust your theology. If it contradicts the Bible, a lot of people don't care if their theology contradicts the Bible. If they have to make a choice, they choose their theology. Why? Because they've already come up with a system. They already did all the work. Why do I have to rewrite this? And, you know, be careful, obviously, if you don't know what you're talking about. Probably best to keep that to yourself if you don't have any idea. But don't be afraid. Why? No man's word is infallible. Only God's word is infallible. And if you follow anybody, any theologian that you respect, if he's worth his salt, he makes adjustments over time because as he reads the infinite word of God, he realizes that he, he realizes he is not infinite. He is not infallible. So I better adjust it. You know what keeps a guy from doing that? Pride. Pride. As Anthony Rudolph says. All right. It's good to see Dion back here too. Uh, and oh, by the way, Brother Stevens, good to see Brother Stevens uh, here for the family and uh, the visit with the Vogapoles. And we've got two Stevens for the price of one tonight. And that's a, that's a great blessing. But uh, we've got to be careful that we, that we are willing to humble ourselves to the words of God. Some people say, I'm a King James Bible believer. What they mean is, I follow this particular man no matter what he says. And that's, that you can't do that. You can't do it. Why? Because only one book is infallible. There is no man that's infallible. Only the Bible. And so the King James Bible, thank God, hey, thank God we have an infallible book. Amen? So we can all just take a chill pill and say, hey, here's, here's what I think it says based on boom, 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 boom. And you know the guys who get respect and get followed and, and read and listened to? The guys who have a high respect for the Word of God and put together things from all over the place. And so that's kind of my 30-second uh, overview on theology, and I think I'm just saying that to cover the fact that I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. So let's, let's jump in here into Revelation chapter 6, and really what it is is that it, the more I learn, the more I understand how much I do not know about the Bible. However, I know enough to give us some, uh, some guideposts along the way tonight, so let's jump into it. Let's review Revelation 6 to 19 gives us four times through the, the, the book of, uh, of Revelation, not through the book of Revelation, through the tribulation. So you've got the first time, you've got the opening of the seven seals, chapter 6 to 8. Then you have the second time through the book, you have the sounding of seven trumpets, chapter 8, basically, to the uh, chapter 11. And then the third time, you have the revealing of seven personalities, and that's where we are, seven personalities, which is different uh, then sometimes I have heard it, but I think it makes sense. You'll see what I mean. The fourth time is the pouring out of the seven vials. So very quickly, this is a great chapter because you'll see in verse number one, there is a great wonder in verse number nine. And in verse three, there is a great dragon. In verse 12, you have a great wrath. And then in verse 14, you have a great eagle. That's why we call it a great chapter. All right, preview. What we're going to be doing here tonight is looking at the great wonder in heaven. And then you can also see at the end of this chapter, I don't think it's in your notes, you'll see a great war in heaven, verses 7 to 17. So you've got a wonder 
and a war in chapter 12. Tonight we're going to look at a woman, a child, and a great dragon. Let's begin by reading verses 1 to 6 of Revelation chapter 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Notice, seven heads, how many horns? Ten horns. So he has seven crowns, seven heads, but ten horns. Verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Let's jump in and try to identify, at least we'll identify uh, two of the characters here tonight. Number one, the woman. The woman. Now, if you're, if you're quick on flipping scriptures uh, through scriptures, let's, let's try to do this. Let's, let's look at first chapter 2, verse 20. There's the woman called Jezebel. Speaking to the church in Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, we don't have the time to go into it, but he uses the word Jezebel, the name Jezebel, and it gives us a link to the past. And lo and behold, when you find Jezebel in the Old Testament, she has a religion of her own that she brings from Tyre and Sidon, where she is on the west coast there, west of, northwest of Israel. And she comes down and she marries Ahab, and she brings her own ideas into the Israelite religion, into the Jewish uh, traditions and commandments and, and laws that God gave them. She inserted that. And by the way, that's been happening since the beginning, and it will always happen until Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. Someone will insert into the true word of God uh, their own preferences and their own ideas. Uh, most of the time, it's things that they really like. Uh, Jezebel really liked certain things that her dad or her granddad or whoever it was used to do. And so she wanted to incorporate that. She wasn't trying to throw out all the stuff from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. She was just saying, let's add some stuff in here. And before you know it, you end up with a hybrid religion. And you have literally you go back and you can see you had robed priests. You had, uh, you, you had men who were called father. You had all kinds of different, uh, accoutrements, different add-ons, and you can see how she, she shows up again here in the book of Revelation, and she continues on. When you look at the scripture chronologically, you're looking at Thyatira, which was the age around 300, 300 AD of the church age, and that's right around the time when the church went from a pure church, I mean, it was happening all the way along that, but it, it married with the world. And there started to become all kinds of pagan rituals and ideas and practices that got put into the worship of Jesus Christ. And so here we have this woman, Jezebel, and she calleth herself a prophetess. And uh, I don't know why, but somehow that just rings true today. Uh, a woman calling herself a preacher. Uh, and, and very, very popular. There's all kinds of them today. But... Uh, here, she is a woman who is teaching them how to commit fornication. And by the way, we understand, well, don't people know how to commit fornication? Oh, Christians, they, they, Christians, a lot of them think it's wrong to commit fornication. But if you get the right teacher, she can teach you how to commit fornication and still love God. She can teach you how to be carnal, how to live for the flesh and still be in church. It's a great teacher. If you can get her, man, she's great. Because it lets me do whatever I want with my flesh, and I still feel like I'm spiritual. I don't know what you call I mean, a lot of people, you know, the Catholic religion has been doing that for years. But man, as a Baptist, it's even better. That's awesome. I'm speaking very facetiously. Are you picking up on it? 
Okay. I got to keep moving because we'll get bogged down. Look, look at chapter 17. Look at chapter 17. Here, there's the woman sitting on the beast. Look at 17.3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember, that's a, keep in mind, that's the same, uh, same beast, seven heads, ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her what? Fornication, it's the same woman. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Same woman, back in chapter 2. This is the form that she's going to take in the tribulation period. Then we have, back to chapter 12, we have the woman. The woman in chapter 12, which is found in verse 1, verse 4, and verse 6. All the way through, this woman is found in chapter 12. Now, these are the women in the book of Revelation, but there, some have said, well, there's another woman that's found in chapter 21. Look over at chapter 21 and verse number 9. Chapter 21, 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, She talked and talked with me, saying... Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, is that female or male? What's it supposed to be? Female. Okay. So we know it's a female, but what's interesting here, God does not refer to this woman as a woman. To this female, he does not refer to this female as a woman. Now, who is... The woman. So, so the, we, we, we'll make the point here in just a moment, but notice, notice here, God doesn't call her a woman, this woman here in chapter 21. Chapter, in chapter 12, she's called a woman over and over and over again. You see the difference? The Catholics say that the, that the, the woman in Revelation 12 is, guess who? The Virgin Mary. She's got to be. The pri- why? Well, she's pregnant. And we know that Mary gave birth to Jesus, and so it's got to be her. But, but the problem is, if you go to Revelation chapter 12, and you look at all these things that happened to her, it's just, it, it's, it didn't happen to Mary. It's, it's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible that it happened to Mary. Now, you, if you want to come up with all kinds of ideas, which is great, if you can come up with ideas outside of the Bible and make them the same level, which is what the Catholic Church does, the Bible plus tradition. And they say, well, how can you do that? Well, the church, the church says it's okay, and the church is the one that came up with Scripture. That's what they say, right? So if the church came up with Scripture, the church can also come up with tradition. The problem with that is holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, not as they were instructed by the religious ecclesiastical leaders. They were guided by the church. When the church, even, even, even if you were to bring in the councils, which I'm, I'm not a fan of, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that there was any place in Scripture where they got together and determined what the Word of God was per se. They got together and talked about what does God want us to do. But they didn't, they didn't come and say, we're going to confirm Scripture. But even if you take the councils of Nicaea or whatever, and the places where they, they confirmed the Scripture, they didn't come together and say, we're, we're going to say that, that uh, we're going to bring forward a new book of the Bible. All they did was to say that the, the believers, such as they were, they all agreed that this is a book from the Bible. That's all they did. And, uh, and again, I don't put any stock in that anyhow, but the concept of the church writing the Bible is just, it, it's nowhere in the Scripture. You never find a group of people getting together saying, what do you think God wants us to say? The Holy, the Holy Spirit spoke to a man, and that man recorded Scripture for us. And so, there's, you, in other words, back to chapter 12, you could say that, you could think that it's Mary, but now you have to look in Scripture for how Mary went into the wilderness, and how she was fed in the wilderness, and how she was chased by this great serpent, and it's just not there. So it's not Mary. Now, the Protestants and the Baptists, and there's a difference, by the way, historically, 
uh, and by the way, Anna, I heard somebody say Anabaptist. That's a, that's, that's, they were called that by the Catholics. They were anti-Baptists. And that's not what it means. It means re-baptizer. But either way, the Catholics and the Protestants, or Protestants and Baptists, two different, the, many of them still, they, they still say, it's, well, it's not Mary. The woman is the church. The woman is the church. And so uh, the church brought forth the man-child. Okay, well, there's a problem with that, isn't it? We'll look at that. The New Testament refers to the church in the female gender, but God never refers to the church using the term woman. And it's something to keep in mind. She is referred to as a wife. She is referred to as a virgin. She is referred to as a bride. And the the references are, are in your notes there. But the church does not. Let's look at chapter 12. Look at verse number 2. And she being with child, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And she brings forth a man-child. The church did not bring forth Christ. Christ brought forth the church. The exact opposite. Look at verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness. The church never fled into the wilderness. They were persecuted for sure. But they were sure persecuted a whole lot more than a thousand two score and three score days. Two hundred and three score. Look at verse 14. The woman to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. When did that happen? You say, well, that's the rapture. That's a terrible rapture. Congratulations, you're being raptured into the wilderness where you will be hidden from the persecutor. Right? That's not, that's not the church. Look at verse 17. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the what? The commandments of God. Commandments of God is a term that's used of the Old Testament law. It's only used one other time that I can find it in the New Testament, and it's referring, he says, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. It is the Jewish law. And it's certainly val- valid, but not for the church. The Jewish law was not given. So we see who, who Catholics say it is, and Protestant, and some Baptists, maybe most Baptists. Let's see what, what the Bible says about who she is. Whoever she is, she has to, first of all, bring forth Christ. She has to be persecuted by the devil, verse 13. She has to flee to the wilderness. Hope I'm not making you write too fast here. She has to fly there on the wings of an eagle. And she has to be fed there 1,260 days or three and a half years. The only one who fits that description is Israel. The only one. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. I gave you lots of notes tonight, so um, I'll tell you what. If you get tired and you want to sleep, just keep turning back and forth. Just keep turning, writing stuff down, scratching your head. That's what I do when I'm falling asleep. Chapter 12, verse 1. You should see those notes. Verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the what? Sun. What is under her feet? The moon. And upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. We've got the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, we try, I try, to take a literal approach as much as I can to the Bible unless the passage is clearly identifying that we're dealing with symbolism. And the Bible does use allegory. It uses the actual word allegory. But other than that, unless the Scripture is plainly saying this is an allegory or a symbol, or this is a type or as or like, the Bible uses those words often, then we're going to take it as literal as we can. How can we possibly know what the sun and the moon and the stars could be? Well, the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.13, we are supposed to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but that which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And, you know, you ever realize that man's wisdom sounds really, really good, but it just doesn't last? It's a, it's a, a big, it's a big gulp on the way home from work. It's a slurpee. It gives you a little bit of a sugar rush and then a crash. That's what man's wisdom does for you. It makes you think, oh, cool. Young, young people get this a lot. I got it when I was young. 
It's like, oh, wow, man, I never saw that. And boom, boom, boom. And you put in all this stuff. He said this and she said that. And I thought this and it could be. What do you think of that? It's man's wisdom if you're not careful. You've got to compare spiritual things with spiritual. Listen, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, we like to see kids get sugared up and run around. But we also tell them, hey, you can't make that your diet. Because if you make that your diet, you're going to be unhealthy. So as believers, it's not so important if I want something to be uh, true because it's so cool. What matters is what saith the scriptures. What saith the scriptures. And, And we all miss it sometimes. And we all get carried away. I mean, I'm telling you, there's stuff in there that I'm going, I know that's what it is. I don't care what you say. I don't even care what the Bible says. We, we all have that. But the truth is, the only way we learn is by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's why in our uh, Walk by the Word this year, we're doing Old Testament and New Testament. Because it gives us an opportunity to go back and forth and see what the words say. And by the way, aren't you glad for an every word Bible? Man, if you didn't have that, it's you are... <laughs> It's like we go to play, you ever play a game with somebody? And, and uh, you think you scored a point? They're like, no, that was a half a point. Forget it. I don't want to play. Nobody plays like that. I grew up playing a pickup basketball around the country. And there's a generally accepted you know, set of rules for that. But sometimes guys would be like, no, 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 we don't do two points. You know, Or that, one, that one's, uh, no, that, that one doesn't count. You got to take it back. They got all kinds of rules. And you know what's frustrating? When you don't know what the rules is, you, you have no idea how to play the game, and you certainly can't win. And then if somebody else makes up the rules, now you're in big trouble. So that's why we look at the words of God. We talk about it in every word Bible. You say, well, why, why does it have to be the King James? Well, there's lots of good reasons. Number one, uh, the whole concept of there being a perfect Bible came from the Bible itself. The idea that the, he said, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Now listen, I'm going to to speak uh, uh, facetiously for a moment, hypothetically. If it's not the King James Bible, who else is holding up a Bible saying, this is the perfect word of God and words of God? Who else is saying that? Can I tell you who? Nobody. There's no other Bible that even the guys who translated it will say, that's an infallible book. You say, no, 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 it's in the originals. Come on. Where? When? The originals never got put together in 66 books. So that's what the word, the word means. The Bible means book. We're not talking about individual books of the Bible. We're talking about this book comprised of 66 books. The idea of an infallible Bible contains the words of God in every 66 books that there are. And if you don't have an infallible Bible... What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to end up doing. You're going to end up playing down the concept of the power of the words of God. You're going to have to play it down over over the rest of your Christian life. It's not that big of a deal. And if you say, well, I don't know why people, you know, I don't like it because the people that believe it. Just here's something to keep in mind. Every person that you've ever met or ever read had nothing to do with a compilation of this Bible. What does that mean? None of us, even if we had a horrible, terrible attitude, had anything to do with putting this book together. So what does that mean? It's not about who has a good attitude or a bad attitude. It's where are the words of God? If I said it in a very nice way, would that be okay? At some point, you got to just say, guys, let's dig in and find the Bible. And then once we have the Bible, let's read what it actually says. And let's do what it says. Because the cool thing about the Bible is it's God talking to us. Imagine having a sealed envelope that says Jonathan Marshall. And I have it. I stick it in my coat pocket. And I've got it. Anybody ever says, you know, talks to me. I'm like, hey, you'll never believe it. I got this from God. What does it say? You didn't hear me. I got it from God. Well, what, did he, what does he say? No, no. Isn't that awesome? From God. You see what I'm saying? At some point, you've got to do something with it. What does it say? Now let's go out and do it. And you know that you have the Word of God standing behind you. Now this is, not a, this is a poorly worded defense of the King James Bible. So forgive me. I'm just shooting from the hip tonight because my heart is full. So stay with me. And uh, I, would just, I would suggest 
that you find where the words of God are and put your faith. Believe me, but remember, everything you believe about God that's true came from the Bible. Everything that you believe or know about God came from the Bible. And if you can't trust the Bible, you can't trust God. You can't borrow from what you were taught or what you think. It doesn't matter. It all came from the Bible. So I'm kind of into the idea of God being perfect. But you know where I got that from? (laughs) The Bible. So how can I believe in a perfect God and not a perfect Bible? It's impossible. All right. It's like saying, I believe that I exist, but I actually don't exist. We can, he, let's keep moving on. Again, it's ham-fisted at best. Let's move on. Uh, who the Bible says? Okay. Sorry. Okay, we're talking about literal approach, spiritual things. Let's go to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Let's look at what the Scripture says, and we'll find verses, uh, words in these verses that connect with, can you believe it? Revelation chapter 12. Verse 9, 37, 9. And he dreamed yet another dream. This is Joseph. And told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Wow. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. Why? I'm not sure. And his father rebuked him. You know why Jacob rebuked him? Because Jacob understood the dream. He understood what it meant. His father said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come down to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? You see how the scripture tells you the sun, the moon, and the stars. What is it? The sun is Jacob or Israel. That was the name of of Jacob that God gave him. Prince with God. The moon is Rachel. And the eleven stars are the sons of Jacob. Well, I thought there were 12, 12 sons of Jacob. Well, there were. Who's the twelfth? Joseph. Joseph, the one that's telling the dream. So that's why we that we can find this. I mean, it lines up very well. Sun, moon, and stars. There it is. Back to Revelation chapter twelve. Look at verse two. Twelve two, and she, this woman, being with child, cried, travailing in birth. Now notice, it didn't say that the woman was Rachel. It says in verse, uh, in verse number one, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. So she is not the sun, the moon, or the stars, but she is decorated with them. She's connected with the sun, the moon, and the stars. And what does she do? She is travailing in birth and pained to be Delivered. Now, normally it takes about nine months, right, ladies, for a delivery. In, this, in the case of Jesus Christ, it took about 4,000 years from the time of the Garden of Eden. It takes you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you want to turn there quickly, you can. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Notice, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, speaking to ser- the serpent, Thy seed and her seed, the seed of the woman. When you hear people talk about the seed of the woman, the scripture doesn't use that term explicitly. It says her seed, talking about the seed of Eve. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God tells Satan that the seed of the woman is going to end up crushing his head, right? But for the for the nation of Israel to bring forth Christ, it was a very painful process. Because if you're in Genesis chapter 3, you flip over to Genesis 4, what do you find? Cain kills Abel. And uh, it, it never stops from, three, from chapter 3 on. It continues. The Bible tells us that Cain was of that wicked one, and he slew his brother. What's that? That's Satan coming to attack the seed of the woman right off the bat. You go to Genesis chapter 6, what do you have? You have fallen angels that are cohabiting cohabiting with human women. And so you end up here. What's Is Satan trying to corrupt the seed? You know, I thought about this. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. 
Aren't you glad that the Son of God came down to help humans, not to take from them? He didn't come down to cohabit with them in that way. The Bible says that, that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't get married. He didn't lie down with any woman. He didn't come to take. He came to give. That's the difference between the sons of God and the, the son of God. But all along the way, Satan is fighting. If you, if you look, if you look at chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the one who would crush Satan's head is, is called the seed of the woman. He's also called the seed of Abraham. Over in Hebrews chapter 2, it says he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wow. Isn't that great? And in verse 3 of chapter 12, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, who? In Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So now Satan figures out that God is going to bless the seed of Abraham and that the, the promised seed of the woman is going to come through Abraham. Now he's got it nailed down into this nation. So while God is forging the nation uh, of Israel in Egyptian slavery, what happens? During that time, Satan raises up Pharaoh to try to wipe out every baby boy that was born to an Israelite woman. And he's successful, except for one woman. Moses' mother, Jochebed. What's Satan doing? Satan is trying to wipe out the seed of the woman. He's also called the seed of David. Over and over again in Scripture, the seed concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So now you've got the seed of the woman, then you've got the seed of Abraham, and now you have the seed of David. And the devil's fighting all along the way, isn't he? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Did, did the devil try to do anything to attack David? Over and over and over again. He, couldn't get, he could not get him physically, so he got him sexually. He came after him, didn't he? You know, the Lord had the last laugh. But you realize that that, that was a temptation that was specifically designed to destroy the seed of the woman. I don't know what Satan thought. Maybe he thought, hey, a man after God's own heart committed the two sins for which there is no sacrifice in the, in the Old Testament law. God is going to be so upset with David, he is going to destroy him. And there goes the seed. But the Lord got the last laugh. Why? Because her that had been the wife of Urias ends up in the Davidic line to the throne. In the Messianic line. God, and by the way, if the devil gets on your back and says, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, just read Matthew chapter 1 to him. And say, look at all the sinners in this passage. You know what that means? We have a God who can win no matter what the devil throws at him. And he did. And he did. And he's not done yet. <laughs> he's not done yet. Thank the Lord. The seed of David. Oh, and then when you get past David, guess what you end up with? A guy named Solomon who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He flooded the market with seeds. I mean, what was the, the market share there was completely <laughs> underwater. If you think about that, we don't often think about the concept, but, but how are you going to find the seed of the woman in that nonsense? The devil uses all kinds of tricks all along the way. And it's not the faithfulness of God's people. It's the grace of God that preserves it all along the way. So you end up with 4,000 Years since the promised seed in Genesis 3.15, and, and you end up with, go, look at Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 and verse 4. The nation of Israel finally produces Messiah. 9.4. We will just jump right into the passage. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises Whose are the fathers? Uh, to whom is he referring when he says whose? What's the antecedent? What's, what's the subject before? Israelites. Whose are the fathers? And of whom? Of who's he speaking of? 
Of whom? To whom is he referring when he says of whom? Israelites. Not a trick question. I'm sorry. I'm probably too caustic in the pulpit and everybody's afraid to answer. It's right there. He says in verse number four, who are Israelites? So everything that he's talking about when he says to whom and whose, of whom, he's referring to the Israelites. Israelites, Israelites. Look what he says in verse 5. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came? Who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. If you need a verse uh, about the deity of Christ, there's one for you. Of whom, of the Israelites, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. So Israel brought forth the Messiah. The woman was none other than Israel. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, look at verse number 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Now, the first... Point, letter A, is this. He is red. There you go. That's just just for you. He is red. Red in the Bible is a symbol for blood. It's connected with blood over and over again. And throughout the Bible, you find that the devil is the motivating factor when it comes to the bloodshed in man's history. Remember, Cain was of that wicked one, and what did he do? He slew his brother. What did Jesus say in John 8, 44? You're of your father, the devil, the less of your father you will do. He was a what? A murderer from the beginning. He is a killer. The Lord calls him out. He's not just a deceiver. He is that, but he's a killer. He's got blood on his hands. First uh, Peter 5, 8 tells us that we're supposed to watch out for our adversary, the devil, because he walketh about seeking whom he may what? Devour. Now, he's not swallowing a hole like a boa constrictor. He's ripping people apart. Have you noticed that recently? Ripping people apart. And he is seeking to do so. Why, why do you, by the way, people don't realize it until it's too late that they're being devoured. He is red. All right. He is a dragon, a great red dragon. Now, we won't take a lot of time here, but it, I want you to look at a couple of verses. Look at, uh, Look at chapter 28 of Ezekiel. Let's talk about David's, I'm sorry, Satan's original form. Uh, he originally was not Satan. He was not the devil. He was Lucifer. The word means light bearer. I'll show you that here in Ezekiel 28. But the Bible talks about in, 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 the, in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, he is described as the anointed cherub, that covereth. He was covering the throne. So you had four beasts on the four corners of the throne. When I was visiting the Vogelpoles, uh, we went to some pulpit, and there's four beasts on four corners of the throne. You remember that, Brother Dane? You probably have gone to that a hundred times with people. And uh, I remember seeing that, and it was the first time, I think, that I ever really uh, considered the concept of, of, oh, that's what they look like. There they are, four beasts. And they, but they were missing one, and that was supplied by the vicar, I think, when he would get up in the pulpit. That was the uh, cherub that covered <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, I'm sure he's a great man, or woman, such as the case might be. But, uh, but in Scripture, you had four beasts, and then you have, uh, and you have the fifth one, which was, was Lucifer, who was the light bearer. He was the anointed cherub. He was the one that was on top, so to speak, of God. He was covering the throne. And he carried the light of God. He carried the light of God. And he was made up of these beautiful jewels. Look at chapter 28, verse 13. We won't take the, again, this is a quick overview. If you want to know more, uh, we can talk about it. There's all kinds of information in, in the Bible about it, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. But look, verse 13, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Tyre had, the king of Tyre had not been in Eden, the garden of God that we know of. And he says, every precious stone was thy what? Covering. He was the anointed chair that covereth. He was covered with precious stones. And that's the concept, by the way, of the ephod, by the Old Old Testament high priest. 
he had not not uh, covered in them, but he had twelve precious stones. And and he's the anointed cherub that covereth. He has these precious stones as the covering of his body. But also, look at verse number seventeen. The 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 light that he had was inside of him. Verse seventeen it says. In the middle of verse, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So the light of God is passing through this incredible light bearer, and it's making, you know, it's, he's covered with these beautiful jewels. And you know how it, when you put a, a light next to uh, any kind of a jewel, a gem, if you can get anything big enough, you can see how the light spreads all over the place. It's beautiful. Every color of the rainbow. And, 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 he, and not only that, but the Bible says he had some type of musical ability built into his body. We talk about uh, the, 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 the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes. What in the pipe? Well, we, this is a windpipe that we call here. We say that guy's got great set of pipes. We're talking about a vocal cord. He had the ability to create music uh, just as he walked around, as he floated around, as he flew around. He was a musical, beautiful being. That's why we, <laughs> that's why we be, that's why we need to be careful with liberal arts education. Uh, because beauty can get you in trouble. Beauty has to have some kind of a, a of a, a, a place to gauge against, some kind of a meter. Because if beauty is just what I like, then we're really in trouble. Because I'm going to push, 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 push to get what I like, and I don't care what you like. But notice what he said. In verse number 17, that heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. He got proud about how beautiful he was. You know why he got proud about that? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. God didn't make him proud. Nobody else was proud. You know what Jesus said? He said, what he says here in this passage, that was perfect in all thy ways until iniquity was found in thee. Where did evil come from? Did God create evil? God certainly created the possibility of evil. The Bible says iniquity was found in thee. Satan got a hold of it, something. You know where the pride came from? It came from, really, if you study the passage out, it wasn't, I want to kill God. It's that I want to be equal with God. I will be like the Most High. Be careful if you say, well, I don't want to take over. I just want to be as important. By the way, if someone is as important as you are, they're not any more important than you are. So the concept of co-regency is, seems to be what Satan was pushing for here. And that, isn't that what our culture tells us that is important? We, we all need to be democratic about this. Nobody's higher than anybody else. We're all just whatever. And what you're doing is you're removing the authority. Satan was covering the throne, and he wasn't high enough. Why? Because he knew that God was more important, more powerful, and, and holier. And of course he is, but Satan didn't like that. And so he spent the next however many years being upset with that and trying to get other people to be upset about it. The only one of higher rank and more beauty and more power was God, and that was the position that he coveted. So, Moving on from there, what is this present form? Back to Revelation chapter 12. Back to Revelation 12, you find that his present form is a great red dragon. He's a red dragon. He's called a serpent. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. And it tells us in in verse number 3 that he has seven heads. Seven heads. Let's go back. Let's look at uh, Job chapter 41. We'll go quickly through here, and, and uh, again, this is not a, a, an institute class, but it would be good for you to understand. 41 verse 1, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Uh, well, commentators have said, well, this is a whale. This is a hippopotamus. This is... This is a dinosaur. Um, it's some type of unknown sea creature. Well, you're getting close on that. But, but, but who is it? Leviathan is Satan. What you're looking at here is what you would see if you could see spiritually, you could see Satan as a seven-headed dragon. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean... 
the average person except whatever they put on television, Lord of the Rings or whatever they, you know, Netflix. But you talk, start talking about actual stuff, like actual. Well, it's not physical in the physical sense. It's in the spiritual realm. And we understand Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He can, you don't talk about shapeshifters. Satan is the original shapeshifter. He can shift into any shape that you want, but there is a shape that he, that, that God sees him in and he has this shape, his real shape is a dragon. He turned into this serpent with legs or wings, I don't know what all, and he's got seven heads. He kept mutating and going and going and going. That's what, that's what sin does to you. I mean, even the movie Tangled showed you that. Right? It makes you absolutely disgusting. And you gotta keep tapping into, you know, some type of a life source to keep your real self from happening. Well, Satan, that's why he transforms himself into an angel of light. Because he wants to fool people, and he does. But if you pull all that stuff away, just like Randall in Monsters, Inc., there he is. Right? Serpent with legs. <sighs> Hello. All right. Now, now go over to Psalm 74. Psalm 74. Look at verse 14. Psalm 74, verse 14, he says, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. 74, 14, he said that Leviathan has heads. You say, well, this is crazy. What are you talking about? Let's go to Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27, look at verse number 1. Context is the second advent. In that day, the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Leviathan, serpent, and dragon. You see how the Lord puts all three of those verse, all those words together in the same verse. You say, what does this mean? Well, I don't think it is necessarily going to, you know, maybe help you win a soul to Christ when it's time. You know, you can't say, well, you know, to a lost person, well, no, Leviathan is a serpent and he's a dragon. That's not going to help him. But you know what it will do? It'll help remind you that this world is not my home and that there's a spiritual reality beyond what I see. And I better witness to this guy because one of these days we're going to see with our own eyes the Lord punishing that great and terrible serpent. Now, you, you can't wish that away. You can't hypothesize that away. It's in the Bible and over and over and over again. Unless you want to just cherry pick and say, I like this verse because I understand it, and this is the kind of Christian I want to be. You don't get to do that with the Bible. You have to take it as it comes. And the book of, Revela the book of Revelation, not the book of mystery, not, not the book of questions, the book of Revelation, but you got to believe it. You see, the, the problem is with Revelation. The problem is not understanding it. The problem is believing it. It's right there. It says it. And you can compare spiritual things with spiritual, and you'll find it. So uh, that, that's what he said. The great red dragon has how many heads? He has seven heads and ten horns. Now go to Revelation 12, look at verse 9. We're making good progress, guys. I can't believe it. There were so many doubters, so many people questioned me, threatening emails, but we're making our way through. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, what's, what's his name? Called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. That is headlines before it happens right there. It is going to happen. The serpent that's been deceiving the whole world Devil, Satan, dragon, whatever you want to call it, God's got his number. And I'm glad that he does. Back to chapter 12, verse number 3, you see that he has seven crowns. Seven crowns upon his head. So, all the kingdoms from the beginning of history to the end are under the symbol of seven crowns. You can find seven major rulers or seven kings found in the Bible. Most of them overtly, one or two of them uh, by 
title and by action, and we can look back and see who they were. By these seven kings or kingdoms, Satan, the god of this world, has controlled and is controlling the world. And we talk about how the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and truly he owns all things, but Satan is the god of this world. And he has things. Here's the amazing thing. Uh, you're saying, well, I, I, I want the, you know, God owns it all. He does, but he's letting Satan run the thing. And while he runs it, he's doing what he wants. Uh, you know, we won't go into all of the, th- we recognize this. The, the powers that be are ordained of God, but they also are not necessarily controlled by God. Now, God has them in his hands, and he can turn the heart of the king as he wants. But I want to, we'll see this list of people, and you see how many of these guys were controlled by God. They all were, in the large sense, controlled by God. But in their day-to-day actions, they wanted nothing to do with God. They fought against God every time they could. Seven kings, or kingdoms, that Satan has used. Look at, uh, first, Nimrod, king of Babel. In Genesis chapter 10, you can see that. The second is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, I'll read you a verse for sake of time. You don't have to turn there. Ezekiel 29, 3, speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great red dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers. God, not red dragon, I'm sorry, the great dragon. He didn't call him red dragon. He called Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the great dragon. Do you see the concept of the seven heads of the dragon? Okay, number three is Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Number four uh, is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Jeremiah 51, verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, hath devoured me, he hath crushed me, he hath made me an empty vessel, he hath swallowed me up like a dragon. That's what Jeremiah was saying on behalf of Israel about that king. Number five, Darius, D-A-R-I-U-S. Darius, king of the Medo-Persian Empire or Media Persia. Number four, here's one that's not specifically mentioned in Scripture, but he's called the rough goat in Daniel chapter 10. The Alexander the Great, king of Greece. Now that boy was a warrior. If you study him, he was a crazy man. And he did it all by the time he was about 29 years old. And supposedly he cried when he realized that he had beaten his last enemy. Now, in Scripture, he's called the rough goat. Man, that's a name right there. Put that in your bio. My handle is the rough goat. You can handle anything if that was your name. But Alexander the Great was a massive conqueror. Number seven is Caesar Augustus, the king of Rome, mentioned there in Luke chapter one. But at this point in history, the seventh crown on the head of Satan goes into what some have called a mystery form. So rather than being a physical leader standing up like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar uh, with his great statue and all the world, and we will, we will conquer everyone, we will uh, put everyone under subjugation. Rather than that, now you have rulers behind closed doors. They're still ruling, but they're just not standing. You ever wonder who's really in charge? I wonder that a lot nowadays. I'll tell you who's in charge. The devil's in charge. He's running it behind the scenes, but he uses people as they will allow him to. What the devil has done, the devil is nothing if not industrious. He figures out what works, and he, he adjusts it to the times. He, he sets the course of this world, a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He doesn't work the same way as he did back in the 60s or in the 50s or in the 20s. He is working in a different way now. You ever look back on the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and go, how could you guys be such idiots? Why, why did you let that happen? Like, for instance, why did people say, I understand why they did to a certain degree, but FDR, he radically changed everything about America. And, and we look at him, we go, why did we let, why? Well, people were fighting him. But can I tell you, it's the same reason why we don't understand what's going on in our day. The, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And, and we're walking through this course, and it's a maze. 
the spirit, it's spiritual. You can sense it. You can feel it, just like you can see the smoke outside today. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? So it goes into Revelation 17.5. Remember we read that? Mystery. Now, people say mystery Babylon, but it's actually mystery, comma, Babylon the Great. So Babylon the Great is connected with this mystery religion, the mother of harlots, abomination of the earth. Satan is connected. Remember, the woman in Revelation 17 is riding the, the beast with seven heads. So now you end up with this Jezebel creature that is religious but is satanic. And she keeps pushing. Why? Because people just won't be tolerant. And so she kills them. Right? She, she gets so upset because people just won't get along and be peaceful. And so she didn't want to, but she had to cut their heads off. I hate that you're making me do this to you. I hate myself for having to do it. Can you feel that in the air? At some point, that's what the world is going to be dealing with. This religious influence that's killing people for the betterment of society. You've got to purge the dissidents. You've got to get rid of people who are, who are not willing to go along to get along. And that's, that's going to come. And so that's what, she's, uh, what she is. She goes into mystery form. Note here, the, Rome switched from being a military power to control the world uh, to control the world politically to a religious power to control the world politically. Military power to religious power. Still politically being controlled. Now, letter E. He has ten horns. He said, I saw uh, in, in chapter 13, we saw that beast comes out. He has seven heads, ten horns. The seventh crown or the kingdom that will be used by Satan to rule the world under Antichrist. We're almost done hanging there. He has, this kingdom has ten horns. Okay, so you had Rome, which was the seventh, if, if, you know, this theory is correct, Rome is the seventh crown. It goes underground for 2,000 years. In, in all various forms and back and forth and up and down. Some people have tried to say, well, it's China. No, it's actually Russia. It's Great Britain. No, it's America. And the truth is, it's in a mystery form right now. That's why people don't, no one knows who it is. Um, but the last one ends up in the, in the book of Revelation, the last kingdom ends up having ten horns. One crown, ten horns. That shows that that last crown is some type of confederacy that is made up of ten different powers. I don't know who they are. I'm not here to tell you who they are. Uh, there's probably some good reasons to believe in a few of them, but, but it's, it's difficult to know exactly. But it's a confederacy made up of ten nations. And you can go down through, you can find the number ten in the Bible. I'm not huge into numerology, but there are times when it does fit. And uh, you can see throughout Scripture that ten seems to be the number of the Gentiles, and and you've got you know Noah who was uh, the, the 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 father of the Gentiles. He was the tenth from from Adam, and you had the Gentiles separated in Genesis chapter ten and so forth. You have the ten toes in Daniel's vision, and they represent the the ten uh, nation Gentile confederacy, and Satan is going to rule through the Antichrist, over those ten nations, somehow or other, during the tribulation period. I don't know who they are, but I'm quite certain that it might, if, if, if America is still around, they're going to be involved in some way. Letter F. Here is the last thing before we close. This serpent hates the child, this dragon. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the Lord told us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. To completely swallow up. We talked about that in Jeremiah 51. He said that the Nebuchadnezzar hath swallowed me up like a dragon. And, uh, and so we understand the devil, the, the thief cometh not, but for to kill and to destroy. 
So I want to encourage you. We've talked a lot about just a very basic Bible study tonight, going through stuff, not a lot of practical applications. But I do want to say, as we close, there is a war, and it is going on. If you are a believer, it's not going on for your soul. Your soul has already been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is a a war going on for the souls of other people. And how does he do it? He devours you. He eats you up. He can't take your soul. But what can he take? He can take your joy. He can take your determination. He can take your courage. He can take your charity. He can take your witness. Have you sensed something nibbling at all those things? You know who it is? It's Satan, the serpent. You know what he's doing? He's trying to keep you from being happy in your God. Why? Because he hates God. He wasn't happy with God. And he doesn't want you to be happy with God. He wants you to be worried about every little thing you can be worried about. He wants you to focus on the here and now. He wants you to forget that there's a spiritual world beyond, on the other side of my hand. It's just as real as the physical world. It's more powerful than the physical world. And it's going to last a whole lot longer. And he wants you to forget about it. He wants you to look at that person that's next door and just see him as a guy that's just whatever, that girl who I work with, doesn't matter. He wants you to forget that every person you see is carrying around in their earth suit an eternal soul that will live in heaven or hell. And he wants you to be a normal Christian. He wants you to be depressed. Make sure you watch a lot of news. Look back to the old days and how things were so much better, how things are so horrible today. He wants you to forget that you are a spirit being inside of a physical body. That body is going to die. You already know that it's going to die. But your spirit is going to live forever. And he wants you to get focused on nothing more than corruption and depression. How's he doing with that? Is Satan doing a good job? Has he got you locked down? Listen, you don't have to be depressed. Now, I know, I know, I'm just a young preacher. What do I know? But let me ask you this. When was the last time you were excited about spiritual things? What took your joy? I'll bet you it was the work of Satan. And I'll bet you he used good, godly people to do it. How? That's what he does. He knows how to get you. He is a roaring lion, and he's walking about seeking whom he may. You know what the scripture says? He's allowed to devour some people. He may. He's given permission. Who is he allowed to devour? People who are not sober and vigilant. People who are not on their knees. People who are not keeping their heart open before God. People who relativize Christianity People who look at it and say, I remember I saw that, I've been there, I've been there so many, I've heard so many sermons, I could blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I get it. He knows how to get you. He couldn't get you back there because you were too naive. But now that you know everything, he got you. You were fired up back there because you still thought people could get saved and you still thought there was hope for America. So it powered you. But now you're done. It's over with. Let me ask you this question. Is the way you feel a product of the Holy Spirit of God working in your heart? Is that God's intent for your spiritual walk? If it's not, could you at least admit that maybe the the devil's been getting the victory? He's kept you from being awake as a believer. He won. You know what's amazing? Job found out the reason why he went through all that tribulation. Even though God didn't tell him explicitly, he told him. Why? He said, have you been able to capture Leviathan yet? Leviathan, the king over all the children of pride? Leviathan is attacking you, Job. That's why this is all happening. Satan is trying to bring you down. You're a perfect man. You're upright. You fear God and eschew evil. You've got a testimony. You've got a reputation. People look up to you. You pray. You give. You're concerned about your kids and the next generation. And what's happened? The devil got to you. How did he do it? 
He's good, man. <laughs> he, gets, he gets us by crafting some kind of little bait, a lure, just for us, like any good fly fisherman. Because he wants the big dogs. So he fixes it just right. And here's what's crazy. People listen to me. They're, they're relativizing what I'm saying right now. They're, they're actually going, oh, I remember I used to think that way. I remember I used to think there was hope. I remember I used to think, yeah, you've got to fight you know, spiritual warfare. It's all done now. Listen, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. You know, by the way, when you get to heaven, aren't we going to give account to, what we've done for him, to him for what we've done? So what are we kidding ourselves for? Let's get busy right now. Let's focus on where we are. Hey, listen, we don't know if a deer is going to jump out in front of us tomorrow morning. You never know what's going to happen. I tell you what's going to happen, though. You're going to die one day, and I'm going to die. I'm going to blink, and I'm going to look in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say, oh, it was true. <laughs> it was true. I knew it was true. I knew. I, I knew. Too late. Now, you're, it's not too late for you now. So let's get in the book. Let's read. Let's pray. Let's grab a handful of tracts. Let's talk to somebody. Let's stop being so cynical about the world. Who's running the country? Doesn't matter. Because unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Jesus Christ is in you, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Can something be done? If you think no, then you're right, no. We talked to Brother Stevens. 15 years of going at it in the dark, depressed, discouraged, hammered by people, forsaken, betrayed. All you got to do is outlast them. That's all you got to do. You know, the devil is not able to withstand the words of God. Jesus Christ himself took the devil down with the word of God. You can do the same. It, de- it wasn't just powerful back in the day. It's powerful right now. And God can use it. We went to preach in there. We went way long. So forgive me.